Well, they are told that they have to remember the law of God. Israel is supposed to be God's demonstrated people. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemmer. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. Thank you for joining us. And as we go through the scripture, our 32nd time this year, very exciting, by the way. We're glad that you decided to join us the next few minutes. Corey and Ryan are going to be here in about 15 minutes, but let's listen to what they're doing. Corey? All right, well, I'm taking a look at Deuteronomy chapter 27 and this new altar that Joshua is commanded to build in the Promised Land, Ryan? Well, here's a question for us today. In the Torah, does God both bless and forbid marriage between close relatives? Well, we're gonna talk about that a bit later. All right, that's very interesting. Okay, we'll talk about that. now. What are you talking about? Today, whitewashed stones. All right, very good. So get your Bible out. That's the most important book of all. Get your Bible guide out and let's look at what God has told us. Deuteronomy 27, verses 1 through 10. Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. And it shall be, on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones, and whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. Therefore it shall be, when you have crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones, which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there, you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Then Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes which I command you today. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verses 1 through 10. Deuteronomy chapter 24, chapter 25, chapter 26, and chapter 27. That's what we read as we go through the Bible for the 32nd time. Very, very good to do that. You know, if we decide what's true and what's false, then the truth rests on the shoulders of of its most qualified people in, say, public policy or in the rule of law, in human rights and so on. But the truth is that we are not truth makers. We are just selfish people. I am a selfish person. We think our voice matters more than the truth does itself. 
In fact, this is not just a Western privilege problem. It is a human problem because of human nature and because of selfishness. It just so happens to be embellished here in the West because of our material prosperity, rights and freedoms. Yet we all have but forgotten that without the truth, that is without God, everything we enjoy right now will cease to exist. It can only work on a solid good foundation that exists above human thought. Now, the ladder of the law, or the letter of the law, I should say, without the spirit of the law, is nothing but mute, riddled with potential loopholes and biases. If you ask Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, to govern your heart, he will give you his Holy Spirit, the solid good foundation we all need to make a stable and a functioning, truthful society. Without that, we have no heart for God, and society will bend its knee to any human authorities. Now, I don't need to say much here because it's something that's happening right now. And as we begin to understand what takes place, we need to return ourselves to the Lord. Do you have your Bible guide? I'm going to be talking from the Bible. It's the world's best-selling book. It's published in over 5,000 languages. I've been told it's six, now 6,000, but anyway, I'm using 5,000 as a lower estimate. It's the most published book in the world. This Bible guide leads you through it, and you can get a hold of yours by writing to us or calling us or simply going to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on it. It'll take you to a donate page. And let me say this. Thank you so much for your donations. This is the time which we we really struggle and we need your help, but we do not dedicate ourselves to a strong emphasis on raising funds because we believe that God will speak to you. And uh, that's how we've lived for the last 32 years. And so we want to encourage you just to, just to pray about it. And the Holy Spirit will speak to you. But when you finish there, then it takes you to a page, a PDF file, where you can download the guide just how we have it uh, positioned in the print so you can see it. The command of God. That's what we talk about today. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would help us as we look at Deuteronomy 27. Ten verses here, and as we study them, help us to see what you have said. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Deuteronomy 27, we're coming to the end of Deuteronomy, and Moses writes this. Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all of the commandments which I command you today. Keep them all, and it shall be on the day when you cross over to the Jordan, to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of this law, and then when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord of your God, the God of your fathers, has promised you. Now, what's important about this is to remember that God's commands to Israel, or God commanded Israel to remember the words of his law. And we must bring the word of God close to our hearts and to follow Jesus Christ. Now, I do not live in a country that requires me to read the Word of God. And if you're in the United States of America, you do not live in a country which requires the reading of the Word of God. In fact, I don't know of any 
who requires the reading of the Word of God. I know several, many countries are outlawing the Bible. But the Bible is over 2,000 years old, and the Bible is really important for us to digest and to have close to us. So, with that in mind, we understand that when we keep the Word of God close to our hearts, He changes us and He morphs, I should say, makes society through us a different place, a place of truth and a place of goodness. That's what God desires for us. Now, verse 20, or verse 48 of uh, chapter 27. Therefore, it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal, you shall set up these stones, which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God. Build that altar. An altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. Don't carve it or make it something unique. But build an altar. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God and you shall write very plainly on the stones all of the words of this law. Which brings me to the second point. God commanded that an altar be provided to worship him. We worship Jesus Christ with our life and our giving. Did you hear that? We worship Jesus Christ with how we live and uh, how we live is a willingness to give to God and to give to his ministry. Because money tells you where your heart is. Jesus Christ said that. So we need to prepare ourselves and say, Lord, I need to do this. So help me to do this. That's very, very important. Now, verses 9 and 10 say, Then Moses and the priest and the Levites spoke to all of Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God. Very, very important. And then observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. Observe his commandments and statutes, which I command you today. Which brings me to point three. God told Israel that his law was the way they were to be governed. We look at the Lord Jesus Christ for his lead to help us in our lives today. A lot of people say, well, I don't know about these Christians. Well, let me tell you something. If a Christian is truly a Christ follower, they seek the Lord and they've asked Jesus Christ to come into their life. And Jesus Christ tells them, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery and all of these other things. And the Lord tells them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what command is going to violate any earthly commands? It's not. When you begin to understand that God's law teaches us all to be right with each other, even if we don't agree and even if they're not Christians, we must live the example of being like Jesus Christ and encourage people to come to Christ every single day and change their lives, beloved. That's the place we are in now, and that's what we should encourage. Jesus Christ spoke to us. 
and told us not to be afraid, not to be troubled by these times. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of God's final reconciliation with the world. God is going to make things change in our lives. And this is very important. He has selected you and myself to live in this time. And I find that absolutely amazing. Okay, so in our reading today, I want to focus in on Deuteronomy chapter 27, because in that chapter, Moses gives a command of God to Joshua and this, this new nation of Israelites, this, this younger nation of Israelites who are moving into the promised land. And he lets them know that once they're there, once they've established themselves in the land, that they're supposed to have a covenant renewal ceremony complete with blessings and curses. And this, this begins here in Deuteronomy chapter 27, but it's going to continue on in chapter 28 and chapter 29. But essentially, Joshua is commanded to build an altar and pronounce blessings and curses uh, for disobeying and obeying the covenant. And then the whole people are supposed to be there witnessing it, and they're supposed to agree to it and then celebrate before the Lord. Well, today we're going to take a look at modern Mount Ebal and what has been found there by archaeologists. The book of Deuteronomy records a command to Joshua to hold a ceremony on Mount Ebal, to build an altar there and set up standing stones that had the covenant written on them. Joshua chapter 8 records how the Israelites fulfilled this. Mount Ebal was probably chosen as a place of covenant renewal for a few reasons. First, it flanks the city of Shechem, which was a major center of politics and religion in Canaan. In other words, control of this area demonstrated God's power to own the land. Second, Mount Ebal is the tallest mountain in northern Samaria, demonstrating importance and commanding a view of nearly all of what would become Israel. Thirdly, most Israelite Iron Age archaeological findings come from this territory of Manasseh where Mount Ebal is. This gives some evidence to believe that here was where most of Israel resided in the early settlement and into the time of the judges. So having a religious center on Mount Ebal would give access to most of these Israelites. After these mentions in Deuteronomy and Joshua, Mount Ebal is never spoken of again in the Bible. In modern times, Mount Ebal has also received a slice of controversial fame with the findings of the late archaeologist Adam Zertal. A pile of stones on Mount Ebal received several seasons of excavations due to Iron Age I pottery scattered on its surface. Zertal interpreted what he found beneath the pile as a massive altar of burnt offering dating to the biblical period of the Judges. At first, Zertal's findings sparked a scholarly firestorm of disagreement, but today it's generally recognized that he did find a cultic site that corresponds to biblical sacrificial restrictions. The apparent altar is made of natural uncut stones and filled with alternating layers of earth, ash, bone, and stone. Not only is this a known construction style of ancient altars, the bones in the fill are ritually clean, edible animals according to the Mosaic Law. There is a notable absence of unclean animal bones here that are found at contemporary sites in the area, pointing to this use as an Israelite cultic center. 
Unlike pagan altars with stairs, this one was ascended via ramp, as commanded in Exodus 20. In front of the altar are two paved courtyards and various pit installations to hold other types of offerings. The whole area was surrounded by two short ceremonial walls that marked off holy ground, a later closer wall and a larger older wall. While this altar dates biblically to a time just after Joshua, at the center of it, Zertal found an older circular altar dug into the bedrock. Could this circular installation have been what Joshua constructed? The location, timing, and archaeological activity all line up, but the biblical connection will likely remain controversial. So there we go, you know, right where the Bible says, not only here in Deuteronomy chapter 27, you know, it's commanded here in Deuteronomy, but then also later in the book of Joshua, we see the Bible record the building of the altar on Mount Ebal and that ceremony that's commanded here uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 27. So the Bible talks about this being a real thing that happened. And there is evidence that Mount Ebal had a, uh, an altar on it and also had a venerated site. So some sort of what archaeologists and historians would call cultic site, which basically just means a site that was used for religious purposes. And it dates back to the time period of the conquest and the judges. You know, someone once told me when I was uh, visiting Israel, they said, you know, wherever in, in, your, in my home, North America, you could dig in the backyard and not find anything. But, mm -hmm. you know, anywhere in Israel, you can dig and find something. Yes. Anywhere in, in, in the Far East and all of that, you could dig and find something because the situations are ancient. But that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And here we have a circumstance where that's probably a, an ancient site that's dedicated to that. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. You don't hear about that on the primetime news, do you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, not normally. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ryan, go ahead. Yeah, well, since our reading today is Deuteronomy chapters 24 to 27, I really want to focus in on Deuteronomy 27, verse 22. And in this verse, God states very clearly that cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. But we know that some godly men did, in fact, marry their sister. So the obvious question is this. Does God both bless marriage between close relatives and also forbid it? Is this a contradiction? Well, let's look more in depth at this seemingly mixed message. Bible skeptics claim that the Holy Scriptures contain many mistakes and contradictions, and therefore cannot be the inerrant Word of God as it repeatedly claims. One of these supposed contradictions in the Bible is that God seems to both condone and condemn marriage between close relatives. In Genesis 21-11, we learn that Abraham had actually married his half-sister, Sarah. It is clear from other passages in Genesis that God had no problem with this. In fact, Abraham is called a man blessed by God. However, in passages such as Deuteronomy 27-22, we read that cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. On the surface, the Bible does appear to be sending mixed messages. To resolve this alleged contradiction, we must go back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates Adam and Eve and commands that they be fruitful and multiply. In order for this first family to keep this command and carry on the human race, their sons and daughters had to marry one another since no one else was around. It is also important to realize that the laws of God were not given until around 1440 BC, which was more than 2500 years after creation and more than 400 years after Abraham. But why did God later forbid the uniting of close relatives? Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis explains 
that the more closely related two people are, the more likely it is that they will have similar mistakes in their genes, inherited from the same parents. Therefore, the offspring they produce would inherit one set of genes from each of their parents. Because the genes probably have similar mistakes, the mistakes pair together and result in deformities in the children. This, however, was not an issue for early mankind, since their genes had very little degeneration. Yet as time went on, the curse eventually took its toll, creating much entropy in the genome. Therefore, God's law was later established in order to protect us. So we can see here that there is absolutely no contradiction. In the beginning, brother had to marry sister if the human race was to continue. But as the human population grew, it became unnecessary and actually genetically dangerous for brothers and sisters or close relatives to marry. So God later established a law banning these types of marriages in order to protect the health of the human race. You know, that's interesting. And uh, th this is the, the thing that a lot of people mix up on. and That is that time carries on and things are different. Now, a lot of people quote history. And I've heard a lot of this in the last two years. You know, well, we did this or we did that. So it was like this. It was like, no, the, the time in the past two years that we've gone through it's not like any other time in history. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have the technology. We had none of that. The technology changes. Mm -hmm. And so people read the Bible and they make the assumption that, well, you know, God allows us to marry our sisters like Adam and Eve and all of that. And yet later on, he calls it, you can't. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, because time changes things. We don't yeah. change, but time changes things. Yeah, Very and, interesting. and we're we're degenerating, right? Our, our yes. the mutations and since the fall happened, we've got all that stuff. So, and God full well knew that, and that's why He was doing that. He was protecting us. And any yeah. geneticist will tell you the same thing. God knew that, and and He knows that. Yeah. And he knows the future of that. Absolutely. So that's excellent. Very good. Janice? Whitewashed stones. What an interesting chapter here, isn't it? The law inscribed on stones. And Corey really explained it well for us here. Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. And he goes on and he says, It shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. I'm going to jump down to verse 8. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Now, in the time that I'm given, it's difficult to go into a, a, a big explanation. So I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will be able to convey what's in my heart to yours. And maybe you've already thought of this. Um, it says as well, verse 10, Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. It made me think of Christ being the cornerstone and we as being living stones. You might say, I've never heard of that before, Janice. Well, I want you to think about when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we give ourselves to him, we become followers of him. And we need to have his laws, not just written in the Bible, but more importantly, they need to be written on our hearts. And so now let me take you to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, to sort of help you understand where I'm going with this thought. It says here, uh, chapter 2 of 1 Peter talks about the chosen stone and his chosen people. Christ being the cornerstone, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, we're told here. But 
coming to him. So this is anyone who comes to the Lord Jesus, repentant and wanting to follow him, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to describe the cornerstone who is Jesus. So if we come back and we see this law inscribed on the stones, that these stones were to be chosen and built into an altar. They weren't to be, they weren't to be uh, touched by iron tools. They were to be in, their, in the shape that they were in, and they were to come and to be whitewashed. Isn't that what we do when we come to Jesus Christ, this rock, the living stone, and we ask him to wash us, to wash away our sins, and he washes them as white as snow. Though my sins be as scarlet, he washes. His blood makes them white as snow. He makes us white as snow, like these stones that they were commanded to, to whitewash. And then, once they were whitewashed, it was Jesus who changes us, but his law has to be inscribed in our hearts, not so that they can be rules and regulations, but that they can be deep in our heart, something that we want to live out because it's the way God has asked us. He's commanded us so that we can live life and live life more abundantly. This is what the gospel, this is what following Jesus is all about. It's not just saying, yes, Jesus, I take you and then living life the way I wanna live because I really don't know how to live properly. I've never lived a perfect and sinless life. Jesus has, God knows and wants us to be reconciled to him. So as we come to Jesus, let him wash us away our, our sins and our filth. Only he can do that with the blood that he shed for us on Calvary. And let us follow after him with all of our hearts, building ourselves, each one of us, the, as, as this altar, each one of us, a living stone being built up to worship our Lord God in front of our communities, in front of the, of the people around us. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 3.30 to 4.30, we have a prayer meeting, and I'd like to invite you to be there. That's uh, Eastern time. That's the same as New York time. And it's on Facebook and YouTube and Bible Discovery TV. Just look up Bible Discovery TV on Facebook and YouTube, and you will find it. Today, at the close of the program, we pray, Lord, 
I desire to follow your ways. I desire to follow your will. And I desire to follow your word with my whole life.